On today's Ringer NFL show, Chris and I discuss Hail Murray, what the hell happened to the Chicago Bears, the Patriots making it look easy under bad weather conditions, and more. Coming up next. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Show. I'm Chris Barnett. Joining me as he does every Wednesday is Warren Sharp. Hey, Warren. What's up, Chris? So we've got a ton to get to from this last NFL weekend. What is ahead? Let's start with that miraculous ending in Arizona. It is one we will see for years and years, decades and decades from now. The Hale Murray, as everyone called it, as Kyler Murray throws it up for grabs to DeAndre Hopkins in the end zone, and Arizona gets a huge win. Let's talk about both of those teams, which have very good records so far in the season, but kind of where we are on both of those teams, and from your perspective, what they have left, can Arizona really win the West in the NFC, and are they a playoff team either way, even if they don't? And on the other side, Buffalo, and kind of where they stand, within the context of the AFC. Yeah, I mean, look, Arizona is playing well. I think they're still a little bit above their head in terms of what we're getting out of them on a consistent basis. The reason I say that, and we'll see, I mean, they're going to play Thursday night against Seattle. Um, but Arizona, when I look at them, they've played an easier schedule of opposing defenses and an easier schedule of opposing offenses. I show them playing the 25th uh, toughest schedule of opposing um, defenses. So like this offense, yes, it's operating as a top 12 offense and they actually been pretty efficient running the football. Um, but I, I'm hoping to see them get a little bit more explosive. Obviously that was a nice explosive pass that they generated to D hop in the end zone, but we need to see a little bit more consistency from them from that perspective. Uh, defensively, look, I, I liked some of the things I saw out of Vance Joseph, but this is still a team that was giving up massive points. They've given up you know, th over 30 points the last three games that they've played. Um, you know, that they were fortunate that they played the Jets and the Cowboys, but every other opponent, they're giving up more or less 30 points in the last few games. So uh, they gave up 31 to the Panthers as well. Uh, a couple games before they they played the Seahawks and gave up 34 last go around. So this is a team that they need some improvement defensively. But overall, if we're talking about sliding into the playoffs or potentially even winning that NFC West, I, I, I think this is obviously a team that's in contention. On the other side of the ball, you got the Buffalo Bills uh, over in the AFC. And I like what I'm seeing from those guys. Uh, it's It's been... 
a pleasure watching them call efficient games offensively, which has been absolutely required, as you know, to make up for their own defense, which has been very bad. And they've got a difficult schedule ahead. Um, it's not going to be, it's it's a little bit more difficult for Buffalo than it will be for Arizona the rest of the way. But um, I obviously have expectations that they're going to be in the playoffs as well. So I think these are two teams that we're going to be seeing in contention as week 17 concludes later on. Are the Bills better than Miami? Better offensively, much worse defensively. The th- cool thing about Miami, what I love from them is how Brian Flores changes up their defensive game plan on a week-to-week basis. It is the same way that Buffalo changes up their offensive game plan on a week-to-week basis. You do not know what you're going to get out of Buffalo's offense. You do not know what you're going to get out of Miami's defense. That is the sign of great coaching. And it's the other sides of the ball on both of those. It's it's Miami's offense, and can they be efficient and productive? They've obviously been very fortunate with turnovers and short touchdowns off of those turnovers. I think they scored two touchdowns the last three weeks from the one-yard line thanks to turnovers. They've scored multiple non-offensive touchdowns that have helped them uh, win some of their games recently. So that is something that I don't think we're going to be able to bank on in the future. Buffalo has not had the benefit of those um, of those plays from their defense. So uh, at this point, man, I think it's neck and neck. Tua is going to improve. Um, and we'll see these two teams play week 17. This is exactly what we want to see. We want to see these two teams going head to head week 17, possibly with the division on the line. I can't wait for that game. Yeah. And then as we mentioned, before we get away from Arizona, they're going to be in a dogfight, right? With Seattle and with the Rams and, According to Kyle Shanahan, Jimmy G's coming back this week, so they're not totally out of it. I mean, you know, that's a team that was playing in the Super Bowl last year. I know they've been ravaged by injury, but if San Francisco went on a run and piled up some wins, it wouldn't be the most surprising thing ever. It wouldn't, but I I really think that they're fighting an uphill battle with their injury status Mm -hmm. and the rest of that division. I mean, because... If you look at if you look at San Francisco, I'm pulling up the rest of their schedule here to see how backloaded it is. The reason I guess I was a little persuaded is because I saw those numbers that they have, their record and their numbers, especially offensive numbers, when Garoppolo's in there versus every other quarterback that they've had. And it is startling. Yeah, no, it is. And they've got they they will be going up against some difficult um defenses three out of their next uh six games to close the season after their bye. But they also have the Seahawks defense, which is terrible, and the Cowboys defense, which is terrible, and which and the Bills, which we discussed earlier. So mm-hmm. I would never write out Kyle Shanahan because I love him as a coach. Um, but if, if they don't have a healthy Jimmy G, they are fighting an uphill battle. All right, let's move to Chicago because that was the game that everybody was watching on Monday night. What in the hell? happened to the Bears, a team that just a few weeks ago, we were here on the pod saying they had a tremendous spot historically to be a playoff team. And now, fast forward a few weeks later, it looks like they have no chance of being a playoff team. No, it doesn't. And here's the thing that frustrates me about the whole situation is that I've literally heard people talking about the fact that Matt Nagy gave up play calling and the fact that the Chicago Bears still were terrible as a reason to absolve the Chicago Bears uh, head coach Matt Nagy from any blame for the offense over the first half of the season. 
and to say, hey, look, see, it wasn't the play calling. It's not Matt Nagy's fault here from a play calling perspective. It's the team. The team just stinks. The offense is terrible. There's no hope. So I, I just I just want to ask you this question, Chris, because I need to see if I'm insane here. I, I really need to like measure this up <laughs> against you. What what I assume you like a good steak. You're not a vegan, are you? No. I'm okay. not vegan. <laughs> Do I look like a vegan to you, Warren? <laughs> no, I, I saw your tiger video. You got a little bit too much testosterone for me to think that you are. So let me let me ask you this: what, What's your favorite steak place? I, I, you know what? Consistently, I like Ruth's Chris. Okay. What? How do you like your steak cooked? Medium. Medium. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, Chris Vernon is taking the lovely wife to a night at Ruth's Chris. Mm-hmm. Chris Vernon goes into the steak house of Ruth's Chris orders a, I want, I want this medium as a special night for me. I just got my next, my next uh, re-up contract at the ringer. I just got a pod uh, with Warren Sharp. <laughs> I just got my pod with Warren Sharp. This is a <laughs> night to celebrate. Give me it medium. The chef comes back. You cut it in, cut into it. This, this thing is, this thing is overcooked. This is not good. Mm-hmm. Send it back. Tell, I want a different chef. Chris says, stand up. I want a different chef to cook this next one because the first guy clearly doesn't know how to cook this one. A different guy comes back. You get the steak, you cut into it. Holy shit. It's overcooked again. Oh, no. Now, are you going to blame the fucking cow because the steak was overcooked? <laughs> or are you going to blame the two chefs? Is it possible that two different chefs could fucking overcook the same steak? Yes, it is. Okay. Just because Bill Lazor did not call good plays for the Chicago Bears does not mean that play calling is not an issue. I watched the Chicago Bears. I saw them before Bill Lazor took over play calling for that one game. And I saw them during that game. And I'm looking at this team and I'm saying, okay, it's very simple. Stop using 11 personnel. You suck in 11 personnel on the season (laughs) since Nick Foles took over. The team was averaging Uh, only 49% success and 5.5 yards per pass attempt with negative EPA and accepting a 40% pressure rate anytime they drop back in 11 personnel. They don't have three good wide receivers to trot out there and their O-line stinks. But guess what? When they stuck 12 personnel out there, they recorded an 80% success rate passing. 5.5 yards per attempt went up to 10.9, a positive EPA, and a much lower pressure rate. And they hardly ever used 12 personnel to pass the football. Meanwhile, they have like 10 rostered tight ends on the team, right? So why aren't you using more 12 personnel? That's what I wanted to see from this offense in this game. And what happens? They go out there and they use once again a million pass attempts from 11 personnel. They actually stuck out four wide receiver sets out on the football field. Do you know how many passes they threw out of 33 dropbacks that have fewer than three wide receivers on the field in the entire game? Three. Three out of 33 dropbacks with less than three wide receivers out on the field. They were getting pressure. They were having zero success when they were passing the ball with three wide receivers or four wide receivers. It's very simple. This team needs the help to get the ball out with 12 personnel, and they weren't doing that. Number two, I can't tell you how many times, and I'm not even going to this lowest hanging fruit. We'll get to that in a second. How many times this Chicago Bears team with Matt Nagy was throwing the ball with play action and targeting receivers at or behind the line of scrimmage? 
logically, this makes zero sense. The purpose of play action is to suck up the linebackers and get everybody to freeze. If you're doing that, you need to throw the ball past the linebackers so that you can throw into the vacated space to have edges. You don't throw the ball short because the linebackers are already running towards the line of scrimmage. It makes it easier for them to tackle. And that is something that Matt Nagy did consistently is throw the ball short. And guess what happens in that game? If you go back and rewatch it, almost every single one of their play action attempts was thrown short behind the line of scrimmage. And when they were doing that, they had a 25% success rate in 2.3 yards per pass attempt. The few times that they actually used play action to throw beyond the line of scrimmage, 100% success rate, 9.8 yards per attempt, but they were rarely doing that. And last but not least, just look at their run rate on second downs when they were constantly getting the ball at in plus territory at the opponent's 45, 46-yard line, starting drives due to a punt return or due to a turnover and, and a Vikings turnover. They had great field position, and they were doing nothing with it, and they kept running the ball on second downs. Now, you are telling me that you're going to absolve any Chicago Bears play calling because two different guys took a shot at it and the team, uh, the team's offense still sucked? Absolutely not. This is 100% still on play calling. Well, maybe not 100 close to 100% on play calling because I have not seen what this offense can do with good play calling being made. I have not seen good play calling at all, so I can't say that it's still not play calling. Two guys have tried it, both of them have sucked at it. Now, Nick Foles is not the savior, and I'm not here to suggest that the Chicago Bears offense would be top five if they had a better play caller in there. All I can say is play calling is still a massive issue for the Chicago Bears, and until that's resolved, we are not going to see this team do anything this season because as good of a defense as you can have, if your offense continues to do zip, zilch, nothing, you are not going to be able to win games in 2020. Wow. I'm going to tell you something, Warren. If you think for one second the next Bears game, when it starts going the wrong way, that I don't send you hashtag blame the cow, you're out of your mind. (laughs) We're blaming the cow. They got real weapons, too. Allen Robinson, Anthony Miller. I mean, they got players. What what sense does it make to run the ball? You don't even... Your number one running back, David Montgomery, they say he's like this Frankenstein combination of all these different backs. And yet, yep. when you uh, compile it all together, you know what it is? It's like you're pouring in from this file. This file, You're in a laboratory. You're adding all these things. And you put it together, and the fucking thing just explodes because <laughs> that combination doesn't work, right? So... so even if he is a combination of all that different shit, like he's, they said when he was coming out of the draft, he's he's terrible, but he's not even in there. You're using backups of backups as your running backs. So why are you calling so many runs on second down? Nothing they did on uh, during that game on thir- on Monday night made any sense to me at all offensively, except for the second drive of the game where they had a nice, uh, I think it was out of a, a 12 or 21 personnel uh play action shot to Allen Robinson on first down, down the left sideline. Other than that, and, and, and some other plays on that drive when they're using a lot of heavy personnel to pass, the, the, it was a catastrophe. Did you say the vial exploded? Come on, man. You are on fire today. You're, you're, you're not feeling the Bears, Warren. I could I'm disappointed. I, I What I hate more than anything <laughs> is seeing stuff that seems pretty obvious. Like, 
you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see some of this stuff and just say, what are you doing? Like, I just feel bad for the Bears fans. I feel yeah. bad for them watching this product. And I feel bad for them that, that, that now some of them that don't study football maybe as much are like, oh, wow, Matt Nagy's play calling wasn't the problem. See, you know, that that's just how, how do you come away with that perspective on this? And, and this team and this city deserves more than to see that. I don't like the decisions that Ryan Pace has made. This team is not set up for long term success, but you are wasting a defense this season right now. You are just completely wasting a defense with the way that you're calling plays offensively. And again, I am not suggesting this is a Super Bowl caliber team if you call better plays offensively. I am suggesting put the best product out on the field that you can and make the right uh, decisions that you can. And let's see what happens. It's a crazy year. A lot of stuff can happen. You were a five and one team. Let's just see where it goes if you're actually calling plays efficiently. Today's Ringer NFL show brought to you by FanDuel. Add a little excitement to your sports watching experience by betting on all the action on FanDuel Sportsbook this football season. There's a reason why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. Their app is simple to use. They've got great odds on all different betting markets, unique, fun bet types like same-game parlays, and exclusive always-on promotions to let you get more action out of every game. And if you win even get you your winnings safely in as little as 24 hours. Right now, FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back if you don't win your first bet. Seriously, there's no strings attached. Just place any bet you want. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you'll get your entire bet up to $1,000 back in site credit. All right, so we got a couple games coming up this week that I love. First of all, I love Sam Ellinger. I love Texas. Kansas is as bad as it gets in the country. I think Texas is like a 29-point favorite. I think they're going to win like 56 to nothing. So I'm taking Texas on the Saturday game. And then on Sunday, as you will hear me talk about with Warren Sharp, I'm all over to a time. I was all over him in Alabama. Now with the Dolphins. And they're not laying a lot of points against the Denver Broncos. The line, I think it's off right now. It's going to pop back up. But if it's anything less than a touchdown, I am all over the Dolphins uh, winning in Denver this weekend. Also, you can always play same-game parlays. And so I'll probably get a little more action on two a time in the Dolphins. That's the team I'm riding. If you've never tried FanDuel Sportsbook, what are you waiting for? Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and get started. Be sure to sign up with the promo code SHARP so they know we sing. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code SHARP. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. In Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. In Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. In New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Illinois, 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, you can call the Tennessee Red Line at 1-800-889-9789 or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. 
Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. All right, let's get to a team that was well coached and that was the New England Patriots in the Sunday night game. It was an absolute monsoon. You got Jacoby Myers throwing 40-yard bomb dimes to Rex Burkhead in a driving rainstorm. How did the Patriots make it look so easy on both sides of the ball against the Ravens? And do you think the Patriots saved their season and could figure some things out? Also, can we start worrying about Lamar? So, multiple things here. Number one, the biggest takeaway for me is just a reminder that you do not want to bet against Bill Belichick in weather conditions because there is no coach that prepares his team better for bad weather than Bill Belichick. They were out there practicing in the elements the day before that game. He takes the footballs when he knows it's going to be a rain day and dunks and soaks them in water. Then he practices it. You know why? Because the football's arc and the distance that it gets thrown changes when it's waterlogged in a rainstorm. And he wants his DBs to be able to practice against footballs like that. He wants his receivers and his quarterbacks to be able to practice with footballs that are like that. He does everything possible to prepare his team better. And that is why Cam Newton, after the game, said like, does this dude have like a, a Ouija board? Can he see the future? So what He is doing some things here and making statements during the week that I've never seen before and they come true during the game. Like the way that this guy's able to predict what happens and that's because he's well thought and well prepared and he's ready for anything. So it is absolutely amazing um, that other teams aren't doing more. You know, speaking of that, I, I Warren, I heard Last year, when Gronk had his dalliance as a as a broadcaster on one of them, I remember him talking about playing in conditions and playing in the snow. And he said, oh, "Any any teams you hear about, especially the Northeast teams, you go in, you have an inside facility, you have an indoor facility that was not used. They would go and practice. Like you know, you see these crazy ass snowstorms in the Northeast." They would go and practice in the craziest snowstorm. Well, players, and that's what he would say. He said, players don't love it, but it prepares you for what's to come. And it's not the first time you've been out there in a snowstorm and you've tried to run these plays and you've tried to do what you're trying to do. And I was 
I was very surprised by that because I was always under the impression if you got a friggin' blizzard going on, yeah, you take the practice indoors. We don't practice outside today. We go indoors. He said no. Right. Like, and we we exactly. still we, I mean, it sounded horrible, but obviously. And who would who would like going inside? Who would go like going inside more? It's the coaching staff, right? Because they're just yep. standing there anyways. They're not ones doing the practice. But the coaching staff realized I'd rather put myself through hell for this for for a, a Thursday and a Friday practice uh, and stand and endure these elements that I don't necessarily need to because it's going to be what's best for the team. I want my players to be getting ready for these conditions. Now, if you're dealing with a blizzard, like my guess is, if you're dealing with blizzards on like uh, Wednesday and Thursday, but come Sunday, it's supposed to be sunny and fine. Like he'll practice in the bubble. He'll, like he know he wants to get his team ready for the conditions if that's what those conditions are going to be. So um, I've just been very impressed throughout my tenure doing this at the way that he gets his team ready for these conditions and other and, and shocked that other teams aren't doing more of this. You know, um, you don't have to have rain where you're practicing, but to dunk footballs in water. Um, I've seen, uh, I've actually seen, I was very impressed by uh, something that the Carolina Panthers did where they stuck footballs in a freezer before going up to Lambeau Field a couple of years ago because it was going to be a cold game up there and they were practicing to play in the cold. So you got to do everything that you possibly can to get your team ready for those elements. Um, And Getting back to Baltimore, look, it, it's tough. I mean, did you see that final drive? The cameras couldn't even see the football field. Like Bill Belichick, um, somehow Mina Kimes uh, tweeted out that she thinks he's a witch. Uh, I definitely think he has some sort of control over the weather because every single time that this team, if you look back at what they did last season, you know, this defense looked so good and people were shocked at down the stretch how other teams were able, other good offenses at the end of the season were able to take advantage of them. That's because every single good offense that they played during the middle of the season, most of those games were in New England and it was either super windy or rainy. Uh, the game that they played against Dak and the, in the, the uh, uh, Dallas Cowboys, you remember that game, it was windy and rainy and like neither offense could really do anything. There was a blocked punt and and it was just like the weather conditions have really helped the New England Patriots defense over the last couple of seasons. And uh, I'm not saying that the Baltimore Ravens would have won if it was perfect conditions because Belichick did have a great game plan for attacking that those guys defense in terms of Baltimore, where they're headed. I mean, they just lost Boyle, who's one of the best blocking tight ends in the NFL. You're already dealing with Ronnie Stanley, who's out for the season. You are already dealing with uh, um, multiple other offensive linemen that were out this season. So this is this is a much different offense. Like every every team changes a little bit, but this is a much different offense than it was last season. They don't they no longer have this physicality at the point of attack where they can just impose their will on their opponent with the same types of plays week in and week out and build these halftime leads, which is what they did last season. They they were the team that had the largest margin at halftime of any other team. And so it was easy for them to coast down the road at the end of games because they were already up. And what got them the lead was dominating at the point of attack. And they were still going to be able to do that in the fourth quarter. I tell you this, Warren, I don't know the numbers on all of this, but I will tell you just from watching games throughout the weekend, when when it's like, say, third and 11, okay, the first two plays haven't gone all that well, and Kyler Murray drops back or Russell Wilson drops back, I'm terrified of what's going to happen because they're either going to pass or they are going to take off and they're going to get that 11 yards with their feet. With Lamar, I only worry about him running. That's as an opposing fan. 
You know what I'm saying? Or or right. an opposing or or an opposing gambler. You watch those, and it's like, bro, you got to be able to. Get, uh, it's not all going to go great, and when it's third and eleven, you got to be able to keep these chains moving sometimes. But I am always like, he is such. I am petrified of him taking off running. But if he's dropping back, I feel like I'm bailed out. Seriously, I feel like, hey, punt's coming next. Yeah, it, it is tough because, I mean, if you look at this team, they're not really built to do that. Uh, we already talked about their offensive line. And look at their wide receivers. I mean, you have Marquise Brown and who else besides that? Willie Sneed? Like, who, who is really getting down the field and beating you in one-on-one matchups? Marquise Brown asked for the ball. He said he wants to be the soldier to be uh, put on the front lines. And right. he's on the front lines and he's just fallen into, like, opponents' foxholes. Like, he, he's he's tripping over landmines. Like, he's not getting open. He's not um, making the plays that he needs to um, out in the no-man's land. I don't know. Sorry, I'm throwing all few military terms out there. I watched a documentary on World War One the other day. Um, so at any rate, I just think that this is a, a, a an offense that doesn't have the same identity that it did last year. And they're going to have to figure out something and figure it out quick. Uh, because what the game I am most looking forward to, they get a rematch with the Tennessee Titans. Okay, They got a rematch with the Titans this week, which knocked them out of the postseason last year. Tennessee's defense is worse than it was last year, but Mike Vrabel knows how to play this Baltimore Ravens offense. So I'm going to be fascinated to watch that matchup. That's going to be, that to me, to me is must-see TV. That's, okay. the, that's the best one o'clock game. But then, but then, the week after that, they play Thursday, Thanksgiving night in Pittsburgh. Mm. Thursday, Thanksgiving night in Pittsburgh. These are the two games that the Baltimore Ravens need are, are circling. They're, they both come within a 10-day span, and they're absolutely incredible because after that, you've got the Dallas Cowboys, the Cleveland Browns, the Jacksonville Jaguars, the New York Giants, and the Cincinnati Bengals. Sorry, sorry to tell you this, but that because you're a Cowboys fan, that's five wins right there for the Baltimore Ravens. But they Ravens. could be, but they could be, but they could easily be six and five. Needing those yeah. last five, you know. What I'm no, saying? they 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 de- they definitely could. But my point being is that those are five wins. These next two games coming up here in just the span of a few days, about a, one week from tomorrow, they'll play the Titans and the Steelers, and those two games are going to be absolute must see TV. Uh, hold on wait. a second, I'm not gonna I, I'm not I'm not gonna settle for this disrespect. You didn't hear Andy Dalton's coming back. You must not yeah. have gotten the, you must not have gotten the memo. Boring, sharp. <laughs> hey, look, you they played. They, stop they chalking played, up, boy. Stop chalking that up as a win. They played the Pittsburgh Steelers really tough. Um, and you can't look over, over anybody in the NFL. <laughs> I will just say that. The Pittsburgh Steelers this week cannot look past the Jacksonville Jaguars. Okay. Say, how about that? Pittsburgh Steelers can't look past the well, Jaguars. The Baltimore Ravens can't look past the Cowboys. But I'm just saying that they should be able to win those last five games if they play to their A game, um, which makes these two next well, games extremely important for well, them as in the I've division. Told, as you know, I've copped to being a Cowboys fan. I must tell you, and this is uh, in the spirit of full disclosure, this past Sunday was the most enjoyable Sunday I've had in two months <laughs> because I was not burdened with the bad mood. In fact, my wife, my son and I go to my father's house and watch every game. I came back home uh, or it was, it was around uh, two o'clock. And my wife says, so the Cowboys play at three today. They're in a late game. And I was like, they don't play at all today. She goes, Oh my God. 
So I get happy Chris and happy William all day. And I said, you do. We're just going to, we're going to go watch two a time. We're going to go have some fun. We're going to watch all six games. The Masters is over. It's great because we all, we all come, we both come home totally pissed off every single Sunday. Every Sunday we walk in with our heads out. She's like, they lost again. Again, they lost again. (laughs) So thank God. I wish they could have a bye again this week. It would be great. Um, hey, before we get uh, to the next discussion, I do got to stop you on the the Patriots thing. Yes, they are amazing in bad, bad weather. I will certainly keep a lookout for that. Um, that being said, do you think they saved their season? Can the Patriots get back in this mix? They went from, you know, at the beginning of the season, uh, especially with a couple of those games, that great game against Seattle, the night game that they had, were like, hey, they're going to be just fine with Cam Newton. And then it Looked like it was on a downward trajectory. So are we are we chalking that win up against the Ravens to, hey, yes, they played better, but Belichick in crappy conditions is absolutely amazing? Or do I look at that and say, hold the phone now. Patriots can get back in the mix here as a playoff team, maybe. What do we think? I just, I just you know, the back of my mind, I just don't think they're built for it. Uh, but they've got Belichick and they've got the ability to game plan. Um, and, and maybe, and maybe the, they play a bunch of bad weather games the rest of the way. <laughs> well, you know, look, their, their division, I do think that the Bills are better than them, but I, I wouldn't say that there's no chance that the Patriots couldn't win one of those games because right. if those CTs play. And same thing with the Dolphins. Like, And the, the tough part is you look at them, they're four and five right now, and you look at the rest of the AFC, and I see the two teams that are in their division as what better put together than they are right now, the Bills and the Dolphins. I see the Steelers, obviously, up there. I see the Chiefs, obviously, the best. I think the Chiefs are better than the Steelers. I think that game, will, if, if those two teams meet, will be phenomenal. We'll, we'll talk about that one later because i got some great things to, to some angles people aren't talking about for that one. We'll talk about that down the road. Um, but... I think the AFC is pretty open. Like I, I love, I love the rest of the season, man. I'll just tell you that as a football fan, as an NFL fan, the rest of the season is so wide open. All right, let's knock out a couple of these others uh, that we need to. The the Bucks' performance prove it's literally just a New Orleans thing, and if they can avoid them, they're still a real contender. Um, also, along those lines, if you will, comment on the Saints and if they are without Breeze. They would bring in famous Jameis. Are they screwed or are they fine and just going to be able to hold down the fort? I don't think they're screwed, but what I think is going to happen is that Moore is going to ride on the defense's shoulders. Mm. Um, I think with a team like the, Teddy was great for them because Teddy took what the defense was giving him. He worked within the offense. Jameis just has this fiber in his being that makes him want to push the envelope to prove I don't know if it's like prove what I can do or or exactly what is, but he just doesn't. Now, granted, you know, he's had LASIK surgery, so maybe now he'll see a lot better. But, you know, I, <laughs> I don't on. know why he's, he's he, always he's always been reckless, though. He's just you know what I mean? It makes it fun to watch, but he's reckless quarterback. We know that. That's why that's why you throw 30 picks. And that's not really what this team needs. Right. With without Breeze in there. They need to run the ball more. They need to play solid defense. They can't put their defense in precarious positions due to Jameis turning the ball over. Uh, so they got it. This is going to be a great opportunity for Sean Payton to showcase his greatness as a coach that can be the QB whisperer and get Jameis to play 
down to the level, not up to the level. We don't want him to do too much. Just play down, dial it back a notch, take the throws that I want you to take. Don't mm. push it beyond that and execute this offense the way that we need to. So they're going to have to modify some things because this offense, think about Drew Brees, for many, many weeks, this team was able to get by throwing the ball short, doing things conservatively, you know, like they were built their 7-2 team. They were yep. building up a lot of leads without Drew Brees chucking the ball down the field and putting into uh, tight quarters with the opponents. So I think you can coach Jameis down. In regards to the Bucks, look, th- this is still a good team. I have my concerns about their defense. Uh, Todd Bowles, I love him. The way that this team started out, the way that this team was last season, like I was praising Todd Bowles in my book off in the offseason about how great he was. And I, I just want, I need to see more of it. It looks like there's guys in their secondary that are struggling a little bit. We need to see those guys step up and we need to see a little bit better job. Big game here Monday night against the LA Rams who are playing without Andrew Whitworth yeah, but, along that line. That's going to be Warren, huge. But Warren, seriously, I mean, we've been doing this show all season. The only two times that we've been down on the Bucks were the weeks after the Saints games. That's literally the only times all season that we didn't think the Bucks are an awesome team. The rest of the time, they've looked awesome. Right. The matchups are definitely, definitely bad for them against the Saints. And, you know, at least those games are done with. Right. So they're going to be incorporating Antonio Brown a little bit more. Their receivers are getting healthier. They're getting Tom Brady. Uh, You always wonder about quarterbacks as the year progresses older guys, what happens to their arm strength, right? After throw, because you, you're resting in the off season and then you're moving through the course of the season. How does that arm strength hold up? Um, but look, I like the fact that the Bucks are a bet on team down the stretch because not only do you have the ability for like AB to get more integrated into the offense and the other weapons, but I still think there's elements of Bruce Arians and Tom Brady trying to get onto the same page here. I don't think these two guys are yet seeing the game and the field as one. And I think the more opportunities they're sitting in film study, the more opportunities they're out of practice and discussing things, the more that they will see the game with one mind through one eye and be able to uh, just execute things and call plays at an optimal level. So I'm looking forward to see them. I think anybody that's out there that is a red zone watcher like I am, it's without fail. You are going to see more than likely the end of the Chargers game and you are going to see the end of the Lions game. If you have not been focused on those two teams, you're going to see the end of those games because they come down to something crazier than hell. And it feels like every Lions game is like that. And again, crazier than hell. They end up winning the game because Matt Prater hits a 59-yard field goal. But once again, they were in this spot where it's like the last two minutes of these games decide the outcome of these games. What do I make of We've talked a lot about the Chargers this year because they've been in so many crazy situations like that. But what about the Lions? It's every week, Warren. I'm watching, you know, I see them and it's like Andrew Siciliano, like, and let's go back to Detroit. It's like two teams have scored in the last like minute and a half of the game. And whoever gets the ball last ends up winning the game. And this time it was it went in the Lions' favor. But they had blown it again. 
Yeah, the Lions are one of the most frustrating teams um, that you'll find. And this is this is pretty consistent um, for them over the last couple of seasons where they rank right about average in terms of margin at halftime. They rank right around league average. But the points they allow in the fourth, third and fourth quarters and what they score in the third and fourth quarters, I mean, they completely, this offense completely falls off the rails. Um, and the defense just allows points in, in bucketfuls. And they rank 31st in scoring margin in the second half over the last two years. Oh, wow. Uh, and when you compare the first half margin to the second half margin, they have the fourth worst combined margin over the last two years. So is Vegas, is, is Vegas caught on to that or could I start betting against them every second half? You can definitely start betting against them every second half. Um, I'm, I'm looking here. There's been like one second half in the, I think the last three second halves, the last three games, at least they've allowed, they, they haven't covered a second half number. And for much of the first half of the season, they didn't cover a second half number. Hmm. Um, so they, they've been good in the first half overall, but just bad, bad, bad in the second half of games. So, um, yeah, I would. I would definitely. They're a definite look to bet against in the second half, especially if they have any type of lead at halftime. But they are one of the most frustrating teams because it shows to me that their coach Matt Patricia does not make second half adjustments, does not coach his team up well at halftime. These are things. How can you be so good in the first half and so crappy in the second half? This is what it comes down to. You're not opt- operating your offense at an optimal level to to possess the ball and to continue scoring points and your defense is just falling off compared to what it was doing in the first half. And then if you want to talk briefly about the Chargers, uh, I I welcome the opportunity because Anthony Lynn, it's time for this guy to go. I cannot tell you how frustrated I am watching him. I watch this team and they go into Miami and they have on first downs in the first half. This is how we're going to establish our identity in this game. This is what's on our game script. This is what are we coaching up our team? How are we going to go down there and win this game? What is our game plan and our philosophy at practice in LA as we're preparing to go into a hornet's nest down in Miami and deal with Brian Flores' defense? You know what they come up with? They run the ball twice as often as they pass it on first downs in that first half. You know, I thought and about those- you. I, I thought about you, Warren, because I was watching this game. I had Miami. Because I'm riding Tua until the wheels fall off. All right. And the first possession, it was like nothing, nothing, nothing. Punt. Miami blocks the punt, takes it in and scores in one play. And I was like, oh, this is Warren is fuming. Oh, my God. So they, they average only 2.3 yards per carry on those runs. We're not talking about the Baltimore Ravens that were able to run the ball on first downs in the first half and, and gain six and a half yards on each run play. We're talking about you're doing nothing on these runs, and yet you're running it twice as often as you're passing it. Yet, meanwhile, meanwhile, when you do pass the ball on these plays, you're averaging 8.3 yards per pass attempt and a 75% success. So not only are you getting nothing out of the ground game, but when you do happen to pass the ball, you're doing great. Now, what did they say after the game? Keenan Allen said, well, we decided to call, we decided to change up and 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 
Brian Flores was confusing us a little bit offensively. So we ended up running the ball a little bit more in that game. And that's why when you look at the first half prior to the two-minute drill, they had 17 runs and only eight dropbacks. Eight dropbacks, 17 runs. Over two times more runs. Those runs, and we're not just talking about first downs, we're talking about all three downs. Those runs were averaging only 3.1 yards per carry. So the <laughs> runs aren't doing crap. They drop back only eight times in those eight dropbacks. No targets to Mike Williams, one of the best wide receivers that's on your roster. Only one target to Hunter Henry. One target to Hunter Henry. The entire first half ahead of the two-minute drill. One catch by Keenan Allen. The entire first half ahead of the two-minute drill. Why are we doing this? It's because we're running the ball too much because we're scared. But guess what? You are having success when you run the ball on first down. Change up your philosophy. You know that Brian Flores is confusing a rookie quarterback on third downs. Avoid third downs. Pass on first down. This is not, again, this is not rocket science here. But week in and week out, this is what Anthony Lynn's team does. It comes in with conservative, not to lose game plans. And you do not win games by playing not to lose. And that's exactly what Anthony Lynn doesn't understand. And it's why I've tried to give him passes and I've applauded the team loudly on this very podcast when they did things intelligently and they came out passing the ball on early downs in the first half of games out of their bye week. I made sure to compliment things that I see that are going well. But when I see things that are reverting back to this, where you think it's going to protect your team and protect your offense by running and getting nothing on these early downs, you absolutely cannot mm. continue with this coaching stuff. I'm sorry that they don't, they philosophically do not understand the right way to optimize their ability to win games. And they don't understand the way to maximize and protect a young quarterback. And that's actually, if you think about it at its core, that's a scary proposition. And I just feel bad for their fans. I don't know how many. They're still left now that they left San Diego, but I feel bad for their fans. I feel bad for Justin Herbert. I feel bad for the guys on the team that just want to fucking win a game, right? They, they In all these close games, they keep losing every single game by one score and they just want to fucking win a game. And now they're buying into like, well, yeah, we decided to run more because this defense was confusing us. Like they, they're getting brainwashed as well by this bad coaching philosophy and that's why I think like they're never going to get over the hump with this coach. I, I'm, I'm sorry, but they're just not. Blame the cow, Warren. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last thing before we get out of here. They got beat by the Miami Dolphins. There are a bunch of six and three teams in the AFC that were not playoff teams last year. Walk me through these. Just rank them in terms of how much you believe in them the rest of the way. These six and three teams are as follows. The Miami Dolphins, the Indianapolis Colts, the Las Vegas Raiders, the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Which of those man. do you believe in the most? This is tough because I actually really like some of the things I'm seeing from the Raiders, but I have a, I'm, I'm fundamentally trying to get over the mental hurdle of my priors on Derek Carr. But he is playing so well, and he's deserving of, of, mm -hmm. of, of praise for that. Um, but I'm fundamentally uh, trying to get over those. The team that, of all of these teams, the team that has the easiest schedule down the road mm -hmm. is the Cleveland Browns. They mm. play the fourth easiest schedule in the NFL the rest of the way. Oh, we're going to um, get playoff Baker Mayfield? 
I, I don't know if we will, but he, they do not have OBJ. And so when they get into games where they're going to need to pass the ball more, I know some people are saying addition by subtraction and all this stuff, but that remains to be seen. It's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how well, they, they feel. Do. You know what? They feel a little when you watch their games. It ain't, and it's not very exciting. Feels a little Raveny from last year, in like the sense that they just do it different than everybody. They don't throw. They do not put him in positions to lose them games. And they got these two guys in Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, and they run the ball like hell. All the time, you know, yeah, and, ball and, control, and been, you don't get the ball. You only get the ball for like 10 minutes the whole game. And, you know, it doesn't make for exciting football, but it's been effective. No, it doesn't. And and I think Baker Mayfield is in a perfect offense. And this is what I said before, like Kevin Stefanski is the most perfect coach for him. And so I'm excited to see what they're capable of doing. But I don't really have a lot of confidence in their defense to win like the Ravens did last season and their rushing offense isn't dynamic enough to do what they need to do. They've they've had a couple games with just ridiculous wins and there's also supposed to be a little bit of weather. We'll see what develops for this game against the Eagles on Sunday. Um, if you look at all these teams though, every single one of them plays an average to easier than average schedule of opponents down the stretch. So these teams are going to continue to build on their positive records. Um, I, I, I like the Colts, but I think, Chris, their defense is not all it's cracked up to be. I think they've been lucky to play some teams that don't have good offenses. And I think that they've been lucky to not have to face quarterbacks with perimeter threats. Um, the best, one of the best passing offenses that they faced was the Cleveland Browns, and they put up 31 points on these guys. Right. Um, I can't wait to watch this game Sunday afternoon against the Green Bay Packers because for the first time this season, the Colts are going to be going up against. And what are the Colts great at? They got a solid defensive line with DeForest Buckner. They've got a great linebacking core with with Leonard um, and Okariki and and just a bunch of guys on that linebacking core. But here's where. They're going to be tested. A good quarterback with perimeter weapons. They might be getting back one of their uh, Lazard, one of their deeper threats uh, for the Packers in this game. Going to be a super fun game to watch. But I think the Colts, they're still going to win games. And they're probably going to, I, I do think that they're going to make the playoffs. So I think they're going to make the playoffs. I think the Dolphins are in a driver's seat. They need Tua to continue to evolve. You, you got betting on them and, and, I love and betting him. on Brian Flores, that's going to be fun for you. Why the are they the only way. three at Denver? That's crazy. I'm going to well, ride it. I'm going to keep riding it. I Look, I rode him at Bama. I'm, ro- I'm riding him again in the NFL. This guy pays. No, he does. Now, I, I've seen that game off the board because we don't know what's going on with Drew Locke right now, and I believe like that, that he's like pro- he might be missing the game. <laughs> Well, yeah, Drew Locke hasn't been playing great. I mean, my God, I I tweeted out a gif of like a door trying to be locked and then just somebody (laughs) getting right through it because this guy has been just not good. This is what I expected, though. This is why I took the Denver Broncos team total under before the season started because I don't have a lot of confidence in Drew Locke. Yeah, me neither. And two at times headed to Denver uh for that one uh it's gonna be a great week lastly before we get out of here because you're not gonna we're not gonna hear you until you talk to house on friday and you will talk to him after what is a monster it's the best thursday night game you can imagine with with uh kyler murray and russell wilson going up against each other it it matters a lot within the context of the division it's a big possible bounce back spot for seattle after they were kind of 
uh, popped against the Rams. Arizona coming off that crazy high of winning in the manner that they did. So it all sets up for a perfect Thursday night. Do you have any overarching thoughts on what we'll see at Arizona-Seattle? Is it going to be the absolute ridiculous shootout that I think it'll be? Um, I don't know. We'll have to see if Tyler Lockett is there. Mm. Um, we also have to remember that the first game around, like Jamal Adams wasn't as integrated um, as he is now uh, because uh, I believe Jamal Adams was injured for that for the uh, the prior meeting and came back for the um, Buffalo Bills game. So the Seahawks have some better components, but I still think Kyler Murray and his legs are going to have a lot of success here. Um, that being said, I have not placed a single wager on this game. What's the over-under on that? 57 and a half. I'll be over. So everybody should probably take the under because I'll be over. <laughs> and what, do you not have good success? You don't have a good track <laughs> I mean, record with those? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's up and down. <laughs> yeah, I look, this is a massively important game for the Seattle Seahawks when we talk about like just where they've been what they've done, how they've struggled. They have got to come in here and figure out a way to right the ship. And it's going to be hard without Tyler Lockett. Now, they might be getting some components back from from, from the yeah. run game. If they, don't have, the way, if they don't have him in, I don't, that is, that's tough for me to lay. 57, geez, You are having, they're seeing a lot of success. See, they're going to approach this game very differently than the way that the Buffalo Bills approached it. The Buffalo Bills have these three, four wide, wide receiver sets, and yep. that's what they were throwing out there. The Seattle Seahawks, they're going to use a lot of 12. They 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 might even use, if 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 uh, Lockett's out there, I don't even know. They might go some, some 13, but this is an offense that can fool the Arizona Cardinals with getting into heavier sets like they want to run the ball and come out passing it. Um, so... The, the Seahawks are going to need to use a lot more disguise offensively in this game to kind of fool the Arizona Cardinals defense. But Arizona is terrible against play action. They're terrible against pre-snap motion. They're terrible whenever you get into a run look and pass out of it. So those are the things that Seattle knows and Seattle should be able to try to utilize against this team. Um, and then, of course, we had last game that awesome play where Kyler Murray pretended to take the snap, checked look uh check with me at the sidelines where he and a couple other guys looked over at the sidelines meanwhile silent count snap comes back to him he just chucks it deep to Hopkins at the uh, on the side of the end zone there and and gets the touchdown at the goal line like Cliff Kingsbury is going to be trotting out everything to to try to take over this division right this is such a big game for yeah. that division they can sweep Seattle in this season mentally it just puts even though physically on the scoreboard it's going to put uh Arizona up Mentally, it's going to put so much confidence in this team. So this is going to be a great game. Will be a great game. Warren, I will talk to you next week. Everybody that's listening, make sure you stay tuned to the Ringer NFL show throughout the week. Kevin Clark and the crew will be back tomorrow. And obviously, you'll hear Warren with Joe House on Friday. Thanks to our producer, Jonathan, as always. We will talk to you next week.